0: The drive through is GTM's monthly news episode and is sponsored in part by organizations like HPDEJunkie.com, Hooked on Driving, AmericanMuscle.com, CollectorCarGuide.net, Project Motoring, Garage Style Magazine, and many others. If you are interested in becoming a sponsor of The drive through look no further than www.gtmotorsports.org. Click about and then advertising. Thank you again to everyone that supports Grand Touring Motorsports, our podcast, Break Fix, and all the other services we provide.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Drive Through March edition. As you all know, the Drive Through is our monthly recap episode where we put together a menu of automotive, motorsport, and random car Jason news. For this particular episode, to kick off season two, we've got a new segment where we're going to bring on a couple new guests that are going to rotate through with us tonight is special guest host thomas wendy he's the region chief for region one is that region one welcome How's Thomas. Going? pull up to the window number one for some industry and ED news. the first article that came up is you know it's a very big one with all the the different movements and everything that are going on in political correctness and all this stuff this is very poignant right now the chief of the cherokee nation has asked that jeep stop using the name cherokee when they name their vehicles This is a big thing because Jeep has been naming the Cherokee vehicle SUV since 1974, I believe it was.
0: It's not the first time they've made this request. Is that right? I I believe that's
2: correct, Tanya. They have petitioned for Jeep to remove the Cherokee name from the Jeeps several times already. And now it's come up yet again. I thought it was kind of interesting when I first read this, I had to dig into this a little bit more because I was unaware that they had asked for this before. And I can understand why I kind of thought it came at an interesting time, you know, on the heels of the Stellantis merger now, you know, being the fourth largest auto manufacturer in the world. It's like, Do they suddenly have a target on their back? So I didn't want to go down that rabbit hole, but I do agree with their sentiment. I just am now left with, especially being a Grand Cherokee owner. What are they going to call it? What's it going to become? Because the Cherokee has been a staple in the Jeep lineup for 40 plus years now.
1: The commander, I think, seems to be the most relevant name that they could go back to.
3: Jumping over into a different realm as well. Military helicopters, like, are those going to be next in line as well? All the helicopters are after the different tribe names as well. So you've got the Blackhawks, the Apaches, the uh, Comanches. It goes on and on. Like that's just the list that they used for naming all that. But just another thing.
2: I could see that. I mean, I also thought to myself, you know, if if they work out something where maybe they have to pay some sort of licensing fee to the Cherokee Nation. Or royalties or something. Yeah, exactly to keep the name, then I'm okay with it. If they decide they're going to abandon the name, I almost said to myself, I'm busting out the dental floss and I'm taking the Cherokee off the side of my Jeep. Other than on the sides, there is no other label on the, the Jeeps as of 2013 forward. So it's very easy to just remove it from the vehicle.
1: But by saying that you're making it seem like this uh, request is kind of a, a money grab and not really about the pride of the Cherokee Nation. Because if you, if you could just stroke a check for a certain dollar amount and then oh yeah yeah, now it's okay now it's okay now it doesn't hurt our pride because you gave us like 15 million dollars that doesn't sit well with me i am more understanding of it being about the cherokee nation's pride same with the redskins and the the florida state seminoles and the, the cleveland indians and like all these other organizations that are being asked these same requests I don't think it's about the money. At least I hope it's not about like money. It's not, a. they're not looking for a settlement. Yeah, right, exactly. the statement
0: that was made earlier, I don't think this has anything to do with any merger with fiat and all that in Stellantis. It's coincidentally occurring, but it has something to do with that. That's not what's driving it. There's no target on Stellantis's back
2: does definitely open the door and set a precedent. I couldn't think of any other vehicles that were named after Indian tribes of any kind. I mean, it definitely resonates with me being an owner of vehicle with this name on it. So I don't, I'm still kind of mixed about how I feel about it, but I'm really interested to see where the dust settles on this whole conversation. So it's definitely politically charged depending on how you feel about it, but I'm still very curious to see where this goes, but there's a lot more news with respect to Stellantis, let's call it that rather than Fiat Chrysler and all that. This whole
1: first segment should just be the Stellantis segment. (laughs) (laughs) Shouldn't it though? That's what what it's looking like to me. The Stellantis segment, at least for the first like four articles that we're going to talk about here.
2: The next one up on the list got me really excited, which was the talks about the return of Peugeot and Peugeot setting up their dealer networks and all that kind of stuff, obviously riding on top of the Chrysler network that's already here. And I'm like, yes, finally some hot hatchbacks, some French cars, right? Something interesting for a change. And that got canned. Stellantis has decided that they are going to double down on Alfa Romeo. So I am still holding out hope for the rear wheel drive GTA hatchback that they teased two years ago at Salen's that's in the TCR series. You know, if I can't get my Peugeot 205 or whatever, at least maybe I can get an Alfa Romeo hatchback instead. So crossing my fingers, we'll see where that goes.
1: You know, going back to Jeep, there's the Jeep Magneto electric Wrangler concept that was just teased earlier this week.
2: Isn't that an X-Men character? Uh, it
1: is, it is, it is. Actually, they, they, they pay homage to the X-Men character. Actually, they don't. It's just, it's just a weird name, I guess. But it's got an electric motor with a 273 foot pounds of torque, 285 horsepower, which I believe the current Pentastar also has 285 horsepower or, or just thereabouts. So not too much different there. The big thing is it's this concept vehicle, which is electric came out with a manual transmission. And some of you might be scratching your heads as to why would it have a manual transmission? This isn't the first time this has happened. This also came out uh, when Ford did a concept vehicle, I think last year or two years ago, they had a Mustang with a manual transmission as well. So it's not unheard of. It doesn't make any sense to me. I haven't studied the science or the engineering behind how it would work. It's interesting nonetheless. It's based on the newest Jeep Wrangler Rubicon uh, that came out. It's kind of cool. I'm all for the EV revolution, at least in concept form. I'm not ready for it to take over you know, our daily drivers or anything like that, especially not our track cars. But I think it's interesting. I think it's kind so, of cool. It looks cool.
2: So a couple things I, I had issue with this particular article, other than you're right, it does look cool. Even the specs still are written like a gas motor, maybe to just... I guess, adapt people or ingratiate people to the whole concept, of, especially the jeeping community. Horsepower and torque out of an electric motor, shouldn't we be talking about power output and torque basically? What horsepower? Like, what are we talking about here? I've had a theory for a while now, and we talked about this a few times about the physical layout of some of these hybrids and electric cars. I still think that they're having issues packing a hybrid platform or even an electric platform into a traditional front mount rear drive configuration right a lot of hybrids a lot of electrics are either positioned rear rear, front front or even in the case of hybrids, the front wheel drive transverse, I think there's an issue somewhere in there with the transmissions and the transfer cases and all that stuff that they want to do, where I think it makes sense in this case, they had to go to manual because it was the only way to give the Wrangler this off-road capability with an electric motor attached to it. Now I'm theorizing here, I'm speculating, but I have a strong suspicion. There's some sort of mechanical engineering challenge that they haven't been able to overcome yet with a proper you know electric drivetrain like we're like we're used to talking about
1: it very well could be i know the higher end more exotic manufacturers are putting the motors at the wheels the smaller electric motor units at the wheels but you can't really do that with a wrangler especially if people are going to be fording water and stuff like that a creek let's let's be honest fording a creek not a river And all of a sudden, you know, the insulation or something, water starts getting into the battery or the motor or something, and then you're stranded, you're
2: stuck. But let's take it from the perspective, you know, we talked to Drew on the off-roading episode this previous month about the other electric offering that was coming out in partnership with GM. The Rivian? Yes, the Rivian. If you think about it, that was one of those, you know, electric motors almost at every corner of the vehicle and all that kind of stuff. But what we didn't talk about in that episode was, How's it going to hold up? It's a really cool idea. But if you look at, you know, I got a Dana 44, I got a Dana 68, I want to go off road and I want to put, you know, 44 inch tires and all the stuff that Jeepers do to Jeeps, that typical EV layout, I don't think is going to hold up. It's not going to work. It really isn't strong enough. It can make the power, but I don't think it can hold up in those rugged off road conditions. So, this is really cool in the sense that they're trying to figure out the formula for that classic front mount rear drive config, but I think the reason is they need to stick with that tried and true layout because there's no other way to go off-roading properly. Let's let's put it that way.
0: I don't know that they Rivian has been advertising that they're trying to be off-roaders. They're trying to be like a Land Rover bougie pretending like you're gonna go overlanding but really you're just driving down to the grocery store
2: they call that ball cool. crawling
0: <laughs> yeah i mean fine you might go on a dirt path somewhere on some snow but they're not actually trying to go rock crawl i don't think they've advertised that way no so I, I doubt I that they would have built either. for that
2: yeah so this might be the first proper EV off-roader if we really kind of boil it down, right? I mean, I'm sure there's some other more boutique entries, but from a mainline producer like Chrysler, this is probably the first of its kind out of anybody at this point.
1: I'm pretty sure it's confirmed that Jeep is going to be coming out with at least a hybrid Wrangler. I thought I heard. I heard uh, there was a
2: hybrid Cherokee coming too, or whatever it's going to be called next. The hi-
1: yes, is it the, the hybrid, uh, smaller, mid SUV that to be named later.
0: <laughs> well, what is the Hummer supposed to be capable of doing? Because based on some of its little videos and photos, it, it's,
3: it's doing a little bit more
0: extreme things. things than... Yeah, the I mean, hauling. that's really
3: kind of supposed to be doing a lot of the generic off-road stuff. Mm. I mean, I know just from times that I've heard, like people sometimes make fun of the... Guys that roll up in the Hummers thinking they'll get through everything, and then they can't. But when you think of Hummer, you're thinking of pretty heavy-duty off-roading vehicle.
0: I haven't heard how they've been faring, but I, I believe they allegedly have designed for a bit more rugged use.
1: Maybe to Eric's point earlier that you know they're they're sticking with the Jeep layout of the I guess the the rear the solid axles and the. The, the suspension setup and everything, the, the front engine, rear wheel drive, or 4x4, four four, maybe because that is the best setup that's a, that has come out thus far, but maybe it's not necessarily the best setup ever. It's been that setup for so long that it's been perfected. Much like the Porsche 911, they've been developing that rear wheel drive, you know, rear engine setup for what 60 years how long is the, the 60 years been around? yeah 1964 it's, yeah it's a terrible design and if you think about physics it should not work as well as it does but it, it does because they've figured out how to make it work and it could be the same thing with this maybe just this is the best setup for now but it's not the best setup moving forward and like it's, to tanya's point the hummer yeah it is designed to be a very offer capable
0: Well, the problem is the article says that it's based off the 2020 Rubicon. So if you're basing it off a gasoline powered vehicle, most of the manufacturers, all their EVs are being, you know, they started out trying to, you know, just take the platform they already had and retrofit and all that. But more and more of them are all realizing that they just have to start from the ground up with a whole new chassis design to support. EVs. It's not going to be the same. So this is a concept. So who knows if they keep going down the path of a, of a Wrangler EV, they might decide that they scrap it and start from a whole new platform.
2: But if that's the case, I think that's the death knell of the Wrangler at that point, because what you will have after that is no longer a Wrangler. To Brad's point, I think there's a formula that says, this is what it is. This is what you expect to get, the performance you expect to get at it, especially as an off-road vehicle. So I applaud them for trying. I want to see where this goes. I'm really, really curious because I think if this works, and especially with the manual and all that that they're suggesting here, then that means there's hope for the Grand Cherokee and the Cherokee as well, whatever it's going to be called in the future as well, because that's a similar layout. And they can then translate this formula to that and then have an EV based, you know, mid-sized SUV to be named later. What else is going on at Chrysler there, Brad, as we transition away from off-roading?
1: Well, Dodge has decided to take the law into their own hands and they've come up with a solution to prevent people from stealing cars, protecting their car owners, mainly the Charger and uh, Challenger owners of the, the higher models, the SRTs and Hellcats and stuff like that from having their car stolen. And basically they've created a software update. And so here's where I'm a little fuzzy on the details from the article. But basically there's a four-digit code that's either prevents or puts the car into a limp mode, essentially three horsepower, 22 pound feet of torque, something like that. Uh, Basically it puts the car in limp mode, no high-speed getaways if you're trying to steal a Dodge Charger or Challenger, unless you have the four-digit code.
2: Okay. Two things. First of all, Chrysler. Have you heard of Lojack? Second of all, have you seen the movie Mad Max? This is jack. Yeah, yeah, right? But do you remember like in Mad Max, he had the little keypad like hidden under the fender or wherever it was. And he had like, he could start the car because he didn't want anybody to steal it. You know, it is gasoline and all that mess. Like this is the same thing, but I really feel this is a day late and a dollar short.
1: I feel it's a gimmick. I mean, Ford has the same keypad technology on their doors.
2: Where I was confused, like you, was whether I needed to put the code in.
1: To put it into the mode or to keep it out of the mode. Correct.
2: It didn't. Exactly. No, you're absolutely correct. I didn't understand one way or the other. I was like, what are we doing here?
1: Like, I could see this is a valet key. Like, This is their version of a valet key.
3: Well, so they already do have the valet key, though, because like when the Hellcats first came out, there were videos coming out on YouTube of these pissed off valet workers they're like oh man this is so awesome i'm gonna drive a hellcat i'm just gonna go up and down the street here and then they were all upset because they were given the valet key and they like could barely even drive the thing
0: that's awesome (laughs)
1: as as a person who hopes to someday own a hellcat i am thankful for that not that i valet park a car very often because i'm not that bougie but I don't want some, like, 20-year-old snot-nosed kid getting in my car and doing burnouts and stuff in the valet parking garage Yeah, trying but to just show off to his friends.
2: But just think, Brad, he could leave it on Liquid Metal or, or some other channel, you know.
1: <laughs> He's welcome to do that. This this code does not prevent you from setting my Sirius XM stations.
2: <laughs> Is there really a rash of just Challenger and Charger thefts going on that we don't know about? Well, I, I think so. I mean, not I know, as, like not
1: I, as many as the Honda Accord. I was That's gonna say, Accord like, the stolen car in the country.
2: Yeah, the Hondas and the, the Camrys, like right behind them, right? I don't get it. I just don't. I just don't see the appeal of stealing a Challenger or a Charger. But whatever. Right, it's- but
3: the, the three horsepower limit on those Hondas wouldn't affect anything. <laughs> vtech yo. <laughs> but if you limit
1: the torque, though. <laughs> <laughs> my the most interesting tidbit from this is the. The fact that to get to the 2.8 horsepower and 22 foot pounds, they just limit the red line to 675 RPM, not 6750 RPM, 675 RPM.
2: But you know what's cool about that? The Hemi makes 22 foot pounds at 600 RPM. Think about that. That's actually kind of cool. So when you're looking at that torque graph and those numbers, I mean, that's that's impressive actually, and still better than anything French from the 1960s. So there you go.
0: (laughs) So the way I'm looking at a different article, the way it says is you create a four digit code that you have to enter in order to have the car be in normal mode.
2: Oh, that's terrible.
0: Because it says the way it works is that the owner sets a four-digit code in the infotainment system. This code must be entered before driving away to access the car's normal horsepower settings. If it isn't, because a thief spoofed the key or stole the key, the engine computer won't let the engine rev past 675 RPMs.
2: So does this become like my iPhone, where if I don't put my passcode in right three times, then my car is bricked for 20 minutes? (laughs)
3: So since they have the demon, why didn't they set the RPM limit to 666?
2: Oh,
1: because they had to get to that precious 2.8 horsepower. <laughs> this reminds me of the Seinfeld episode where they're all running around trying to get access to each other's ATM cards and nobody wants to give out their pen numbers. <laughs>
0: Apparently it's a free installation. So what's the gimmick? They're not trying to make money. They're offering it to you for free. So what I
2: understand from that though, is, is if I put my, I have to put my pin in every time I drive the car. So it's in limp, it's in limp mode by default.
0: When you first turn it on. Well, no, I guess you wouldn't necessarily, I don't know. You wouldn't necessarily have to quote crank it all the way for the accessory position to turn the infotainment system on, I guess.
1: So, like the Apple iPhones, are they going to next come out with the fingerprint key? So, like, if it's not your fingerprint on the key, it stays in limp mode.
2: It's a it's in the swells of the steering wheel. You have to put your thumb. <laughs> you have to hold
1: there. the steering wheel at all times. Yeah. yeah.
0: Then you're going to have all these forensic thieves that are going around with you know, powder with and the lifting powder. a fingerprint <laughs> to put on. It becomes an
3: episode of Dexter. It's all <laughs> challengers and chargers.
1: Instead of stealing your challenger, first they steal your coffee mug.
3: So wow. I was going to say it also brings up another thing that's going to really suck for you if you have actually put it in to use this and then your infotainment system breaks. Yeah. Because how are you going to put it back into regular mode then?
1: Because if we know anything about Chrysler Electronics.
2: <laughs> and they said this goes back to cars all the way to 2015. So I'm just like, if it was me, I'd skip this update. You're out of warranty at this point. Just don't worry about it. All right. So speaking of bright ideas.
0: So there was an article earlier about Porsche unveiling that they're working on a synthetic fuel that will basically have electric vehicle level emissions, obviously, and basically they're just trying to, to make cleaner fuel for the ice engines. Obviously, if they're still under development with this. They're not too forthcoming with exactly how the process is going down and whatnot. But they do mention that the e-fuels will be made out of CO2 and hydrogen and will be produced using renewable energy. So those are all good things. I mean, this is not new, the ability to make longer chain hydrocarbon molecules, such as gasoline from something like CO2 and hydrogen, or even just starting with methane, because basically they're going to create methane from the CO2 and hydrogen. It's great. I mean, yes, will it, in terms of running a car powered on this e-fuel versus running a car powered by batteries, will it be cleaner than... The EV, I'm not convinced. Will it be cleaner than traditional ice? Yes, because they will be able to get rid of sulfur and nitrogen that are naturally occurring when you're making gasoline from crude oil. So you won't get your socks and your knocks. So you won't get all the smog. That part of pollution will be solved. But the piece that I'm not sold on is whenever you combust something, CO2 is a bad product. <laughs> batteries aren't generating CO2, right? So I think it's great. I think it's positive. I don't know that the whole story is fully articulated yet. I mean, depending on the manufacturing process and how much energy intensive that is, they do say using renewable energy, you know, there's still going to possibly be a footprint, carbon footprint with that manufacturing process. So Again, it goes back to what's the whole life cycle analysis on this. I don't know yet without more information, how does it pan out versus, you know, tr- the traditional way of making gasoline. It might still be better and anything that's better is, is good to help the environment. One for one, apples to apples versus battery. I mean, without seeing the full life cycle analysis, I'm not sure how they're saying that they're zero emissions like an EV because combustion is combustion. Like you're still gonna, yeah. It's still going to have its byproducts.
1: The, the thing that stuck out to me is there's a line in the article that says this will be the same level of CO2 produced in the manufacturer and use of an electric vehicle. Now, isn't that like the big debate, like the whole manufacturing process of EVs is worse than the life cycle of an ICE motor? I mean, isn't that one of the debates or one of the arguments against EVs?
0: So that's tricky because it really comes down to if you're a coal-based in your life cycle, then yes, you are likely probably worse versus coal-based, you know, making gasoline, but you're using cleaner energy to do the life cycle for the or the EVs, you're actually probably better than in the gasoline. So it really comes down to what's your initial energy source, right? It's, there's context that needs to be added to the conversation that's usually omitted. So right. you can't really make the blanket statements.
1: And, and then they usually say that about like the whole mining for precious metals and stuff to, to make the batteries and things like that too. They, they try to throw all of those things into the argument against EVs to make EVs seem like they're the devil or where they're they're worse than ice when you can justify anything if you explain it enough
2: to your point brad about the precious metals that argument holds water on the ice side of the house too because you have to mine precious metals to develop catalytic converters right there's all sorts of materials inside of those so i don't think that's a winning argument on either side because the number of catalytics especially vehicles now where you've got two sometimes four catalytic converters on vehicles, right, to suppress a lot of that kind of stuff. So I think it all kind of comes out in the wash at the end of the day with respect to that kind of stuff.
0: Well, the problem with the way lifecycle analysis is often done is where your fence lines, i.e. your boundaries for how you're doing your analysis, how they're set, can greatly change the answer that you're getting, right? And so, I mean, I haven't really seen enough of the data to to say one way or the other i have seen some things saying it really it comes down to you know what you're saying your base energy sources and if you're trying to use coal to make the the evs you're you're not winning <laughs> i mean good on them um Hopefully they've maybe cracked the code to make it, or because there is a shift away using more natural gas as, you know, initial power source into manufacturing and whatnot, that's a cheaper source cleaner also, you know, maybe that's making this more advantageous, more economical to do, right? Because this is not new technology, this technology, right. this process dates back to, you know, World War one or two, I don't remember which one right now. Um so it's been around but when things aren't economically favorable to do you you don't do them right
1: So who's going to be first in line to put this new fuel uh, into their race cars, into their track cars?
2: The people that can afford it, they can go to the dealership and buy it at 1.75 liters at a time at, you know, some ridiculous markup, because where are you going to buy this Porsche special fuel? And can I put it in my car?
1: Yeah. This this Porsche, this Porsche special fuel or SRF?
0: No, it'll go in any car. I don't, I don't see that being a problem. I don't see it. It's not going to be Porsche specific. It's gasoline. At the end of the day, they're creating the gasoline chain. So if your car runs on gasoline,
2: the question is, is there going to be a special pump at Sheets that says Porsche fuel, like with their logo on it? Like I, I, you know, maybe it's in partnership with golf, like in the old days, right? Golf and Porsche.
0: I mean, it's a good question. How are you bringing this to a fuel station? Where is it going to be available? You know, you, you could, it's Porsche. So one could argue that it'll be available in Germany. First, and maybe only Germany, which oil refiner are they working with? And
1: that brings up my next question. Are they using Bosch for the electronics?
2: I think there's a better question than that, Brad. Much like biofuel, when you burn this Porsche fuel, does it smell like sauerkraut? And when Ferrari comes up with their fuel, does it smell like marinara
0: sauce? That's it what smells I like that.
1: axe body spray and desperation. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, it won't have sulfur and nitrogen in it, so it'd smell better from that. <laughs>
2: So speaking of Porsche, we brought it up in previous episodes of the drive Through, where they took a vested interest in Rimac, which if you guys remember, you probably heard that name before because that's the EV that Richard Hammond wrecked during an episode of the Grand Tour on a twisty road. So Porsche, back when we talked about this the first time, they had just invested 15% stock of rimac right and now they have just upped that number to 25 so they have a quarter control of rimac right now so i have a feeling that that's going to continue to climb you're going to continue to see them using rimac and working together to advance the technology that they're using and we're probably going to end up seeing that in the taycan and a lot of other cars so speaking of the taycan I just recently watched a video on Garage Riot of the world's fastest C8 Corvette and the, the hood managed to stay down during the whole thing in a drag race against a Taycan Turbo S or whatever they call it. You know?
0: Taycan also, sorry.
2: Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Touareg, Touareg, it's all the same. So at any rate, I thought that was a little bit of fun by you know the Hoonigan guys or whatever they were putting it on. But re- in reality, as you guys are going to hear in a future episode about drag racing, you know, they gave them kick at the start, they gave them a bunch of other stuff. And it was like, is this really fair? You know, why are we talking about a hugely modified Corvette that makes like almost 2000 horsepower against a stock electric car, but that's not really what got my interest. It was another video on the same social network where I saw an EV retrofitted into a 935. And this was being developed out in California. There's a lot of companies out there right now that are retrofitting Tesla power plants and and other types of EV power plants into old Porsches. The formula makes a lot of sense. To your point, Brad, they've been perfecting that rear mounted rear wheel drive for a lot of years now. And a lot of those Tesla two wheel drives are the same layout. So it makes sense to retrofit the EV pack into an old 911 or a 356 or a Beetle or whatever have you. And this 935, when you guys check out this video and it's in the show notes, it is pretty wild. And they said the power to weight ratio is so much better than with the ICE, setup because the car was light to begin with and now you're taking away all the weight of that flat six and giving it almost equivalent power. It is just an absolute rocket ship. And so very cool to see, very cool to see that, you know, old cars like that will continue to live on with some of this new technology.
1: And a little uh, Easter egg from this video. I don't know if you know who BC Moto are, but they're the ones who developed the manual transmission twin-turbo Honda Odyssey with like 900 horsepower. They do a lot of unconventional things, but it always looks like high quality, well engineered and well done work.
2: Yeah, that was the only disappointing part about the video was they didn't actually open the hood or I guess the trunk. (laughs) <laughs> to show us what it looked like, you know, in the engine compartment, it was all pretty kept hush hush. A lot of the video was done from inside the car. The sound I will say is nothing like a flat six. I, th- that's one thing I would have a hard time getting over is driving an old 911 that sounds like like a wind up toy. It's kind of a tough pill to swallow, but overall I thought it was pretty cool.
0: Yeah, so earlier this month, Tesla had their battery day. Similar to Tesla, Volkswagen had power day, as they called it. So it was a bit of press release on all the great things they plan on doing, you know, in terms of, you know, their EV revolution, this, that, and the other. You know, they didn't have huge announcements, I guess, on the scale of of what Tesla did, but it had a couple interesting things that came out of that. They did talk about a plan for you know, having six battery gigafactories, which the eventual production capacity would be equivalent to 4 million of their pro performance version of their ID3s. Not that I don't think we're getting the ID3 on this side, but still. They also are announced something they're calling a unified cell technology, planning to launch in 2023. By 2030, then they would be using this new cell that would allow them to reduce the battery cost on most other entry-level cars anywhere, I think, up to like 50%. So that's pretty significant since they're saying basically the cost of the batteries is, you know, like a third of the cost of the car itself. So if they're able to reduce that, that's pretty significant. They had some other announcements, one of which there was also an article today, I think this morning highlighting this as well. is they have a partnership with BP, so British Petroleum, major oil refiners. They're partnering with them to basically create charging stations at BP stations. Brilliant because you're not you know creating some station somewhere where someone's not familiar. You're trying to bring the eV compatibility charging to spots that people are familiar with. So, I mean, I think that makes a lot of sense. So good on them to partner up with that instead of just building random stations in places. I don't know how well that'll work. It sounded like they would be tied in with the existing petrol stations. So if that is the case, I don't know you know, how well that'll work because there's a lot of undergrounds that go in with, uh, with the petrol stations for storing the, the fuel and whatnot.
2: So it makes me wonder if the European fueling stations are operated differently than those in the in the United States. I'm not familiar, so if anybody's listening out there, you know, please comment. You know, here in the States, most gas stations, most fueling stations are franchises. They're buying the fuel from the distributor, be it Exxon, be it BP, be it Shell, whoever, and they have to run the name on the side of the building much like if you own a McDonald's. You're getting the supplies from them and then you're delivering the service. So here I'm wondering how would that work to put in the electric and all that? Is the gas station owner on the hook for that for that cost? Is it going to be provided by BP as an example? You know things like that. So I, I just kind of wonder how all that's going to work. Unless you know maybe overseas the gas stations are maybe controlled by the state or, they, or or something like that, right? So I'm speculating, but I'm just wondering. Like it seems like it's going to be easy, but on the same token, like why is it so easy to do that sort of you know conversion?
0: I mean, I don't, I don't know how done in, in Europe or in Asia or in other places in the world, here, the gas stations used to be owned by the oil refiner. So if it said Exxon or Mobil, it was, you know, controlled and, and managed by Exxon or Mobil. That's not really the case anymore. Like you said, yes, there are independent owners that can set the prices on the fuel station. So when people blame, oh, man, the price of the fuel, man, it's, uh, the guy that owns the place might have Added a few extra cents on there. So let's make sure we know who we're getting upset with. Um, but yes, exactly. They basically pay whatever their branding. There's no control from the the major oil refiner of, of that station. I don't know. In Europe, maybe it's different. Maybe they still, maybe BP still controls their stations. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how it works here. I mean, maybe in the US they change their model a little bit. Maybe the control shifts again. Maybe there's part ownership that goes back in or or something, I don't know. Or maybe here, we're just going to say, screw it. We're going to just build whole new stations alongside, or maybe they'll close some fuel stations and then just completely from the ground up, rebuild them to be just EV. If they're seeing demand go down, you don't need these stations, right?
3: It's just kind of like the the phase in of everything. And I know it's kind of been discussed previous episodes and everything as well. Yeah, we're obviously not going to see anything overnight. The initial rollout is most likely going to be horrendous in a lot of the the situations, but it is something that is coming and it's it's just gonna be a matter of how that actually ends up rolling. Even with the Porsche fuel, that's another one rolled in with it as well. It's all about the logistics side of it. Luckily, because we have done it before, like a lot of things are gonna get figured out, but Yes, you're going to have to tear down a lot of things in order to make room for the new infrastructure. I mean, just look at any major city or anything, too. You, you start tearing down the old stuff to build the new, and it comes along, it comes better. We're just going to have to see gradually go through as it comes, so...
2: Now, what I thought was interesting from the Power Day discussion, and and it's still something that's on the table, and I know they're doing this. We talked about it before. They're doing this in Formula E, where they went to the hot swappable battery Mm -hmm. packs. I want to see it go in that direction, honestly, because the build quality on cars has gotten so much better. If you look at a 20-year-old car today versus a 20-year-old car when we were first started driving, the build quality is 1,000 times, if not 10,000 times better. So let's say I buy a car today in 2020 that's an EV, wouldn't it be cool that 10 years from now, I have the ability to drop the batteries out of it, put new ones in and go another 10 years, you know, because in this case, I don't have all those moving parts, all those liquids, all that stuff that that an ice motor would have. Yeah. Maybe I need, you know, brakes, rotors, wheel bearings, all the common suspension parts, but If I kept my car in good shape and I, you know, and it wasn't abused, then it would it would almost last, let's say, forever. It's interesting to see where that's gonna go maybe 10 years down the road from now.
1: Top gear episode to that point as well, where they were testing in a very small limited market, driving and changing your battery, like going to the gas station. Yeah. So just swappable batteries, not every like 10 years or when the useful life of the battery is done, but like every time you needed a charge go to the quote unquote, you know, power station, swap out the battery and along your, you're, you're back on your way in 15 minutes or whatever.
3: Yeah, I was kind of going to go along that line. Cause I know it had been talked about before, like having a spare battery in your, your vehicle for it, but I kind of see it more like what Brad's saying, you know, kind of like when you're swapping out your propane tank for your grill, you just walk up, you give them the empty empty one, and then you grab the uh, the full one, put it in and you're on your way. And especially for these longer road trips with the EVs right now, you know, you're sitting there for, you know, however long, just at least get it charged back up. Now they're not charging all the way up to hundred percent. They're doing that supercharge up to about 80 because they're able to get that much quicker. But in this case, you might be able to swap out to that full hundred percent and be able to travel a little bit further and extend your road trip.
2: My luck, it'll be like when I go to swap out my propane tank and I put my Empty one in and I get one back that's half full. So, you know, hey, whatever, that, that's my luck. But what I don't want to see happen though, because there is a trend growing right now about leasing your car from the manufacturer, people don't want to purchase their car. They're talking about not pr- being able to purchase a car from the manufacturer anymore, is that it turns into that I forget which episode of Black Mirror it is, where you just pull up to the station and get out of the car and jump in another one that's been sitting there and charge up and you just drive away and you've paid this subscription plan for a type of car that you're able to drive because all the cars are kind of cookie cutter and the same, right? You just go from one to the next. So to me, that would be like, that would be the end of just carness as we know it, right? It's just completely soulless appliances uh, that are out on the road, (laughs) Tesla. But
0: anyway. (laughs) So speaking of that, (laughs) the other thing that's going on with Volkswagen is this ambiguous Trinity project, as they call it, that is quote, supposed to lead Volkswagen to the financial promised land, Taking the company out of the low margin business of manufacturing and into a new business model that offers the rich returns of software as a service. And so the article kind of goes on and talks about whatever this project is, which is all very vague and there's not a lot of details. It could allow drivers to choose all wheel drive or extra power on a quote fee for service basis. So basically they, they're talking about like how they even have now with their MQB, whatever that the single platform and they're just, you know, changing the body on the outside. Sound, sounds like they kinda wanna do something similar where it's like, all right, we got we build one car and then you can decide if you want silver, gold, platinum, plutonium subscription. And we'll give you, you know, 20 year old GTI or golf performance or GTI performance or R32 performance, which I'm very confused how this works. No, no, I know how
2: this works. You're driving down the road at 60 and ads are popping up on the street going, do you feel like your car is slow? Click here to upgrade now and get 50 more horsepower so you can do 70 miles an hour for only $29.99. It's going to be just (laughs) like all these... Freaking ads on your computer. Isn't this another
1: Black Mirror episode with the exactly. guy like having to generate widgets or whatever? And exactly. Then he goes to his room and he's got to watch so many hours of whatever stupid videos.
2: Dude, that
0: show is foreshadowing. I'm telling I mean, you. EW says, quote, they the cars will have virtually everything on board and customers will be able to activate desired functions on demand at any time via the uh-huh. digital ecosystem in the car. I, I just don't understand though, because if you, you buy your, whatever car you want to buy and you decide, oh, I want the R32 performance package. Well, the car has to have been built. with So whatever the, the highest performance package that you could subscribe to, You have to then build every single car would have to be an R32 performance package. And then you decide that, oh, I'm going to run it in golf mode. And okay, it switches to front wheel drive, blah, 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 disengages differential that you didn't need if you just wanted a front wheel drive and like all this extra stuff that you didn't need if you just wanted base model i don't understand i mean minis and things like that a lot of the cars have the sport mode and the race mode and all yo, that yo yo yo, yo yo!
1: three more paychecks and i'll be able to afford turning on the no,
2: dude, no yeah, you're dude. Right. dude it's gonna be like an rpg we're all gonna start <laughs> off with like tattered clothes and the more we drive we'll earn in-game currency so we can unlock the horsepower and then i will become a druid night elf the
1: equivalent
0: to like an R thirty two. You're making fun, but I guarantee there's a shit ton of people that would probably be down you, for that. Dude, I and then you can buy. I'm at level twenty. What exactly?
2: Exactly, and then you could buy VIP for a month and unlock all the features.
1: <laughs> but then, so so, what is the uh, Volkswagen in car currency going to be called? Let's take a moment to try and identify what that is.
0: What was that sausage called? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's awesome!
1: Strudel. I have got fifty thousand strudel.
2: <laughs> I got schnitzel. Oh, that's old that's currency. Schnitzel's out. That's that's the old. That's the last mod.
1: <laughs> oh my <laughs> god! Sell all oh, that at
0: the trading house. You're
1: good. never winter Volkswagen. Yeah,
0: I don't know. I mean, there's not a lot of good information yet on what exactly this means. It's a little frightening.
2: That would be a good name to replace the mid-sized Chrysler SUV yet to be named, I would call it the Paladin. I figured it out. Now that we've gone there, it's the Paladin. That's but good. there's
1: already a, isn't there already a Paladin? There's a Palisade, the Hyundai. Yeah, 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 yes. yeah.
2: All right, anyway.
1: Meanwhile, so the Postal Service has just signed a contract with Oshkosh Bagash.
0: <laughs>
2: Are you serious?
1: <laughs> Oshkosh Defense is going to be doing the new postal truck, the next generation delivery vehicle.
2: Dude, I looked at this thing and I mean, I'm going to miss the old Grumman Jeeps and stuff that had been around for like a billion years, but this thing is ugly, right? I mean, who, who put it in a trash compactor and decided it was a good, it's like, a bus got squished. I, I don't understand what it is. It's, it is is ugly, though.
1: I will say, so So some of them are going to be low emission uh, ice, and some of them are going to be EV.
3: One thing that I'm actually looking pretty forward to with the, the postal trucks, so anybody that's had any experience with any of the Oshkosh trucks, they have some really cool technology in them, their tires and suspension and everything. So like in the military vehicles, you've got this display unit, where you just basically touch what type of terrain you're going into and it dynamically changes your tire pressures, your suspension profile, all of that happens in real time so that you're able to go through different terrain types. If they were to actually carry this over with the postal service, especially since even during all these bad weather conditions, They're still supposed to be out there, you know, delivering mail and packages and everything. This is something that can give those drivers a leg up on mother nature and getting through some of these tougher situations. So they're able to get through some of the snow, possibly if they're in an area where they have to do a little bit muddy drive-in or anything like that, like that's something that uh, I think would be really beneficial.
2: So what you're saying is my mailman won't do a one-wheel peel from my house to the next house to the next house anymore? Is that what I'm understanding?
3: Who knows?
1: Maybe <laughs> this is making me actually want to sign up and apply to be a mail carrier. Now, just so I can play with the truck.
0: <laughs> gonna, they're going to have to do something to uh, secure the packages or do something so that it's the torque. Is not so insane that they gun it like they do in the, That's what I'm in, saying. The, in the vans right now? And all the stuff just flies in the, the back of the van.
2: <laughs> so Yes, gonna...
0: it'll be fine. They're, they're used to dropping packages. <laughs>
2: leaving them in the middle of my driveway because they won't walk down it
1: we're saying all this though but i think the postal service could have saved themselves 470 some odd million dollars because they don't deliver packages anyway it's the last time you got something (laughs) from your usps that you were supposed to personally i think small around town delivery vehicles is the perfect platform for evs buses Uh, Small, you know, mail trucks, delivery vehicles, Amazon people. It's perfect. I think it's a perfect platform for it. And that would do so much to help us with our emissions issues. If everybody was just driving, if these delivery people and everything, these small commercial vehicles were all EVs.
2: Absolutely. I mean, in Europe, or well, especially in Italy, they went to natural gas transit, you know, tight vans and, and little small transporters and stuff years and years and years ago. The problem with natural gas or or CNG was that it, it defines torqueless wonder. And I mean, if, if if you think like a Honda off VTEC is slow, I mean, then drive a natural gas car, you'll think it's a it's a freaking race car in comparison. But if but, I'm
1: delivering oh yeah, snail mail to little Susie grandma down the street, I'm not sitting there thinking about my Torkums. I'm thinking about how I'm going to get this mail delivered before lunch so I can blow off the rest of the day.
2: hundred percent. And if, you know, with mail trucks being big and flat, if they could finally figure out how to do those solar roofs so they could charge as they're kind of start up and go driving, that would be perfect.
1: And in addition to the USPS trucks, UPS is also... Uh, switching to or, or looking to switch to, you know, an electric van.
0: Yeah, there's a UK startup that they've, I guess, signed a contract with. They're going to get you know, this UK startups called Arrival and they've designed electric van. Um, And they're going to deliver 10,000 of the brown bands for UPS. They're going to be exactly for what we're talking about. It's for last mile delivery, meaning they're at the the facility and they're just going out to your door. They have 150 mile range. It's not the interstate UPS truck, tractor trailers going back and forth, but it's those short bursts daily travel, which this is perfect for. And it'd be great not to hear the the UPS guy slamming down the road. (laughs) So here's my,
1: here's my suggestion We go back to the railway system. We find a way to run rail railways, you know, cleaner. And then they go into a a station, you know, in inside these little towns. And then these EVs go out and deliver, you know, to the various little commercial places and, and residential and everything that they need to. We get all the stupid effing trucks off the damn
2: road. Well, a couple things on that. Trains have been diesel electric hybrids for as long as I can remember. So the technologies are there. Why we haven't borrowed from that advancement in engineering is beyond me. Meanwhile, Amazon continues to buy Ram vans from Stellantis. So I don't know what's going on, but you're starting to see more and more of the blue vans popping up on the streets. Uh, You know what I will also say? is that this will be the weirdest one lap at the Nurburgring in Forza with all these new, you know, delivery vehicles that are going to be coming out. So Forza 8, I'm excited. Let's see what, you know, Oshkosh and the, <laughs> the Arrival and the, the, the Ram vans and whatever. So we'll see where that goes. Not only is the delivery industry changing, but so is law enforcement. I heard that Ford is going to start supplying pickup trucks as a replacement for the veteran Crown Victoria and some of the other vehicles that are no longer available as police interceptors. I'm not sure if the exploder is going away or if this is in conjunction with, but the one thing that got me excited is these trucks are going to be set up to do at least 120 mile an hour.
0: I don't know if they're meant to replace the the Crown Vicks. What are what are the other ones they, they use the charger too or they used to the, the sedans? I don't know if they're meant to
3: entirely Ford, replace
0: the sedans.
1: Ford side they were using the Taurus. The Taurus yeah, yeah, was replacing yeah, yeah. some right. of the,
3: um, the aging Crown Vicks. I think it's more of a supplemental thing for like special cases and right. Because uh, they already situations. have pickup
0: truck police responder vehicles today they're gas so this is just kind of the next evolution for those right and yeah they did up the the horsepower the total top speed from 105 to 120 apparently it's it's they're basically the fx4 off-road package so it's got enhanced off-roading capability which is i guess good depending on what kind of pursuit they're undergoing or if they're using these kind of in more rural areas or Um, to
2: arrest jeep owners that go on bike trails in california
0: yeah. You, I mean, you could be giving these to, um, park ranger, right. police, uh, those kind of people. And they're going off mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the park rangers rim. and
1: police, the, the park rangers all drive square body Chevys,
2: <laughs> not on Jurassic park, but every, anyway. <laughs> every
1: single park ranger truck I've ever seen has been uh, an early an eighties or early nineties GM.
0: I think I've seen, I've seen some, am pretty sure I've seen some Ford pickups.
1: Those were personal vehicles.
0: Oh, okay. My bad. <laughs>
1: But since we're
2: talking about Ford,
1: the Mach-E, which is barely out, is having a recall because they have loose bolts on the control arms. So So... apparently they did not enlist me to tighten these bolts for them because had they, the bolts would never come apart ever again. Yeah, if you have a Mach-E, get it to a dealership. Just to get it checked out. Yeah, Get it checked out. I don't think any of them are actually even in service yet. I think uh, yeah, I
0: don't on. think I think they caught it before any of them were released yeah. to anyone. So
1: yeah, but uh, Ford, if you're looking for somebody to tighten your control arm bolts, give me a shout.
0: <laughs>
1: Meanwhile,
2: <clears throat> we would be remiss.
0: We haven't quite talked about Tesla yet, so we would be remiss <laughs> not to talk about them. <laughs> hate to knock on, on Tesla all the time and. We can knock on them for this one because of their exuberance about touting how they have full self-driving capability and all this stuff. And we've talked about this before about how that's bull crap and that doesn't exist yet. And they really should stop saying that. And apparently <laughs> they wrote a letter to California admitting <laughs> that their autonomous, whatever the hell they call it, is not full self-driving. So and We're finally admitting it, I feel like the damage is already done to people that are are a little bit too uh, ignorant about how these things work. But hopefully, you know, people will be a little more attentive when they're driving and not, they you know, won't. like some of the stories you heard. <laughs> like, what? What? He's flat out. He's like, they won't. Oh no, you're absolutely right. They won't. But one would hope that the stories that we've reported on, where people rolled the seats back and Took a nap, and let their their autopilot take over. You know, hopefully people would stop doing that, but probably not. So yes, of course they're still working on you know their technology and and moving it forward, and and the goal is you know one day that it is completely autonomous. Um, we'll see if how far in the future that happens. I, I'm just happy that they finally admit to what we already knew. And speaking of their autonomous driving. Autopilot. They had two incidents within like, I think a week of each other this month in Michigan, both were in Michigan for whatever reason, that two Teslas that were on autopilot crashed. The first ended up crashing into under... Into, I guess, under is the more appropriate. Under a tractor trailer, so that always ends well. I don't remember if the person died or not. You're practically trying to decapitate yourself when you go under your tractor trailer. But basically, like that's not in- that's not how it worked in the Fast and the Furious. Well,
1: they didn't go under the back.
0: No, they they, they basically <laughs> T-boned the the tractor trailer. Ah. Uh,
3: so I looked at the pictures, and that thing is. Sandwich underneath there. So basically think like the bottom of the window line crushed underneath there. It says both people that were in the vehicle survived. However,
2: they were sleeping fully reclined.
3: Most likely. So I think this is pretty funny. So the driver was a 21 year old female or wait, no, that was the passenger. So the driver was driving on a suspended license. So is her excuse that she wasn't really driving? driving. So she can't be charged with the felony.
0: Oh, shit. (laughs) <laughs> oh my god it just
2: gets worse because
3: <laughs> she's she's being charged with reckless driving without a license i don't Shouldn't know the how I, I with reckless
0: driving i i don't know how they survived quite honestly because it's under okay the roof to the back doors is caved down like, I, I mean, it's a miracle that those two people lived.
1: It's a good thing they were sleeping.
0: <laughs> it's a good thing they were. <laughs> I mean, it's not funny, but I mean, you know what? I hope they were reclined and sleeping, because that's the only thing that saved their lives. Well, of
1: course, if they weren't sleeping, they probably wouldn't have hit the truck.
0: <laughs> well, there's that, too. I mean, <laughs> they weren't paying attention. The car failed to do its job and, and to see the tractor trailer. And there's been reports of that for the last several years of the cars not appropriately seeing tractor trailers on highways. And especially if they're not moving or they're stalled out or something like that. The second incident was also of someone driving with their autopilot on. And there was a police cruiser pulled over on the side of the roadway for whatever reason, and it hit the police car. So, I mean, I, I know it's not <laughs> funny, but I
2: have to laugh. So are these things turning into like heat seeking missiles Every time they go into autopilot mode, if there's some stationary object, they're going to hit it.
1: That's called kamikaze mode.
2: <laughs> there's ludicrous mode. And then whatever this is.
1: <laughs> and then the, the the one who ran into the truck, maybe they didn't see it. I'm sorry, officer. I didn't see that 60 foot, 30,000 pound vehicle in front of me.
0: Well, so. I mean, it was based on the photos for the police incident. It was at night. So you could argue it was night, the cops pulled over, Could the, the lights were on. <laughs> the, the blue and reds were flashing on the cop car. cherries and berries. But then one could argue maybe that created some sort of interference with the sensors that are being used. I'm saying the Tesla as,
1: was blinded by the light?
0: No, but
2: as we know from the story we reported about the Canadian guys in the Tesla that were being followed by the police officer, they accelerate when they see the reds and blues. So... What's up?
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, also, it, it's on the full investigation. I don't think it's done. The, the driver is claiming they're on autopilot. So they could also have been not on autopilot, not paying attention. And veered mm-hmm. coincidentally, at the same time, they're near the police officer Trying and are blaming the, the autopilot. On Tesla. But I would think that's pretty easy for them to figure out because they can go back into the little computer and, and read all that stuff. Well,
2: to wrap up our segment on new cars.
1: General Motors has decided to halt production on the Camaro because they can't find these little semiconductors
2: that we talked about last month
1: that we talked about last month. Yeah. The semiconductor shortage has gotten Chevy all up, up in arms and they can't build the Camaro anymore because of these stupid little things.
2: I'm a call flag on the play. Let's, let's be real here. The Camaro isn't selling well. Neither is the Corvette. This feels like 1999, all over again, early 2000s, we got to scrap the Camaro to force people to buy the Corvette. Reality, the Camaro is a better performer than the Corvette right now. And if you think about it politically, it just doesn't make sense to keep it around and the price point and everything else. So to me, I'm saying this semiconductor thing is a great excuse what about all the rest of the cars that they're building? I, I what's going why is GM the only one affected by this? It this doesn't make any sense at all. I
3: they're think not,
1: GM is the, the, only ones. the only one that's most v- vocal about it, uh, it regarding like the, the changes that they have to make and they, they have to blame it on something. So let's blame it on the semiconductors.
0: I mean let's not blame
1: it on the blame it on the fact that we make
2: shitty vehicles.
0: I mean they're not the only ones though that are impacted by it, but I just don't think everybody else is making headlines.
2: Yeah, but to scrap the Camaro and not, oh, I don't know, the Traverse or something else of higher volume and say, hey, we're going to put that on pause. No, we're just we're going to kill the Camaro and that's going to solve our semiconductor problem. But, like,
1: but from a business perspective, you got to scrap the vehicles that aren't selling well to keep the vehicles that are.
0: I mean, the Traverse might be selling, they might sell more uh, Traverses than Camaros. They sell more
1: Traverses than Camaros. They don't sell more Traverses than any other manufacturer sells any other vehicle, but they sell more Traverses than Camaros. I thought it was interesting that later on in the article, they mentioned how Toyota, Hyundai, and Kia, they're affected by this, but they're just dipping into their stockpile. So they apparently planned on this. They knew about the COVID and they knew this was going to happen. I'm sensing a conspiracy
2: Because you know what, guys, I also found something else very interesting on the heels of the Camaros being put on pause. You see here in Boomertown, where apparently somebody wanted me to get an actual physical magazine, which I probably won't read, and you'll probably won't find this article online, Cadillac, on the cover of Car and Driver, is introducing the 668 horsepower, six-speed manual Cadillac CT5V Blackwing. Excuse me? What? What is this? I'm sorry. I don't understand. So we're getting rid of the Camaro. We got the Corvette. You're telling me we have a 70 conductor problem, and now you're introducing yet another sports saloon?
1: I will say, in the article, it did say production for the Blackwing was also affected by
2: this. Either way, I don't get it. If you're going to make the excuse to introduce something like that, which the market for a sports Cadillac, I think, is very limited.
1: Gordon already to- owns one. <laughs>
2: But it's very limited compared to somebody that may be in the market to buy a Camaro or a Corvette. It, to me, it just doesn't make sense. Do they realize they can't fight the muscle car fight against Chrysler like we've talked about before? And they just got to stick with, you know, certain flagship vehicles and move on? Or I, I just don't understand what's going on at GM. Again, I, like I've said it before, I'm very hopeful. I feel like they've been sitting back watching everybody else maybe make mistakes, but there's certain moves going on right now that I, I just don't get it.
0: I want to say that that Cadillac looks a lot better than the Camaro.
2: <laughs> I agree. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not throwing any shade against this Cadillac, other than the fact that the, the first time I heard about it was on the fact that it was on actually on a magazine.
1: I mean, you gotta <laughs> want that Cadillac just because it's called the Black
2: Wing. It's pretty cool. <laughs> got to give it that. All right. Enough of that. Enough of that. We gotta get into our new, newly combined, combined section called.
1: Surf and turf, shrimp and
2: grits. <laughs> the extra value meal, I don't know. But what we've done is we've combined all of those other segments that we had before. Like, would you like fries with that? And golden nuggets and all this kind of stuff into a brand new section of random car adjacent news. So dollar menu. Hit the dollar menu, I like that. So let's kick it off with our first article.
0: Um, it's just reporting on another unfortunate incident. There was you know a car meet and uh tomfoolery ensued that ended up taking the lives of some people as a new camaro driver was trying to show off kind of doing a hot pull down um, a feeder road actually here in texas and ended up killing some folks as he lost control of his vehicle so it's a very sad sad article and incident and it's just a, a reminder to people to not be stupid and don't do dumb things save this stuff for the track or the drag strip or Forza. And I a
2: hundred percent agree. Right. And it's just one of those things. I mean, safety is paramount in motorsport. We talk about it a lot, but it's more important on the street. Honestly, I'm not impressed if you can do 80 down the highway, let's go to the track and see what your car can do. And, and, I, and in reality, I actually kind of point my finger at the organizers, but, I do tip my hat to folks like grid life and stuff like that, where they're trying to do some of these meets at locations like drag strips and road courses and things like that. Take it to the drag strip, do your cars and coffee at the drag strip. And if you want to go burn your tires to the ground, do a couple passes because in reality, drag racing is not that expensive. It's actually probably one of the cheapest motorsports, and you can do it with anything. Yes. It's convenient to go behind the Krispy Kreme or the Dairy Queen and go talk about your car and show off to your buddies. But I, I don't know, man, there's so many avenues to go have a good time and do it in a safe way. And you can show off and people can go, Ooh, wow, look at how fast that guy's Camaro is. And the only person that is in jeopardy is you and your car. And oh, by the way, if you're worried about binning it, take out track insurance. And that way, if something does happen, so be it, you know, but on the street, there's so many other variables involved. It's just, it really
0: isn't worth it. Yeah. Cause to, to clarify, I guess, um, for whatever reason, the driver hit another car it had a baby inside and basically catapulted that other car into the crowd that then killed two people and injured. I don't know how, how many. Yeah, it's,
2: it's just a disgrace. I mean, I, I
0: mean, I, uh, so 100 miles an hour on a feeder road, it's been a while, but I've actually, and based on where they said the location is, it's been many, many, many a year since I've been to that area, but it doesn't matter because any of the feeder roads down here, I mean, you're I mean, they're straight, yes, it's straight and flat, but I mean, it's businesses like the speed limit's like forty miles an hour. I mean, you shouldn't be doing hundred miles an hour down a feeder road. I mean, every however, not even like a mile, there's usually a stoplight. Like it's short distances for you to access shopping plazas and this, that, and the other. I mean, this is beyond stupid, and it wouldn't have been any better to be getting on the highway and and doing it either. So people need to use their brain.
2: So speaking of Texas.
0: Just an interesting piece of news. Um, as we're still in the midst of COVID, at least down here in the state of Texas, they're they're really focusing on on creating hubs where they can do mass vaccinations. I know a lot of other states are doing similar to that as well. So over in Austin, they are using the Circuit of the Americas. I believe it opened earlier or at the end of February as a vaccination hub. So they're getting. Not a huge supply of the vaccine, but they're they're hoping to get more. And they're all set up to do, as they called it, Chick-fil-A lines. Very well organized. So you can just drive up, get your shot, pull over, do the waiting thing, and, and then leave. Kudos to Circuit of America's track for um, supporting the vaccination efforts. And if you're in the Austin area, maybe you can sign up and be able to go to CODA to get your shot.
1: Can I get a 20-minute session on track while
2: i'm waiting for the vaccine to take effect or whatever
0: at least one lap
2: you got to get one lap of coda in there man probably
0: some liability issues in there because they want you to kind of hang around to make sure you don't have adverse side effects that's right you you,
2: that's what you drive around the track
0: while you're waiting it's perfect yeah last thing you need is to have an adverse side effect as you're driving around the track
2: Meanwhile, in lighter news, we have brought it up before on our holiday shopping guide and a couple other episodes leading up to that, talking about the ridiculous world of car collecting, but I'm talking about collecting Hot Wheels. There is now the world's most valuable Hot Wheels out there on the market, and it happens to be a Volkswagen. It's a Type 2 bus, it's known as the Beach Bomb, and it has been evaluated as the most expensive collector Hot Wheels in history. It is valued at a whopping $150,000. Can you imagine something you bought back in the 60s or 70s for a dollar is now worth 150 grand. So if you happen to have one of those, hold on to it even longer. If you're out at Walmart or Target this weekend, grab yourself some Hot Wheels. They might be worth something someday.
1: In an interesting little tidbit, this guy is in Maryland. So I'm thinking a uh, road trip. To go see this thing.
2: It wouldn't be a drive through episode if we didn't have some fries with that.
0: So this first serving comes out of Toronto, unfortunately. And I... <laughs> Thankfully, the person wasn't hurt. Uh, the same can't be said for what is very likely their completely totaled mini. But apparently, this young woman, 26-year-old nurse was uh, waiting at a light to turn up on an on-ramp i guess to get onto the highway in her mini and she turned onto the on-ramp but the gigantic dump truck or whatever it was it was behind her at the light rear ends her causes the mini to do a 90 degree spin so now it's perpendicular with the flow that it should be going in and the dump truck keeps driving. So the dump truck now is T-boning this young woman and pushing her up the ramp onto the highway and keeps going and there's CCTV camera that catches this (laughs) unfolding smoke billowing because it's like scraping against the cement wall and all this shit and there's like dust coming up. Apparently, you know, uh, someone else (laughs) noticed all this smoke and stuff coming up and, and pulled up alongside and saw that there's this car being t-boned and thankfully what they did and honestly i probably haven't done the same thing had i seen this is they out accelerated pulled out in front and you know basically created a roadblock and forced the dump truck driver to stop and then he got out and was like i didn't see you <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see you and then asked that the cops not be called and if he could just pay for the damages.
2: You're going to pay for a whole new car! (laughs) I
0: mean, minis are
2: small but still. The cost of a
0: mini is the cost of a mini. I mean, that doesn't matter how big it is, but okay. And then you and then And, you know, you read some of the comments and there's, you know, the trolls are like, well, you know, drivers really need to respect big trucks because, you know, they can't see you and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, she was in front of this dump truck, allegedly, and also at a stoplight. He had to have come up to her and they both turned on the same on ramp. And so that whole, oh, you can't see what he forgot she was there. I'm sorry, this dude's at fault. I mean, I guess we don't know the full story, exactly what happened, but (laughs) as presented, I get out of here. I mean, (laughs) how dumb can you be?
2: It's befuddling, much like our next story.
0: Oh, the next story brings us back into warmer climates down south. Where would we be if we weren't in Florida?
2: (laughs) Oh, man.
0: So, you know, you just read the title alone, Florida Man Strikes Again. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> as refusion fusion dangerously transports ladder and someone video recorded this as they observed it and you might be asking well you know what was he doing he like strapped it he's like put it on the roof he's holding it with one hand kind of thing He's no, no. like that
2: like that dude with the camera and the light pole. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yes, like the dude who was gonna take very nicely take that fallen light pole to the recycling center
2: after he you know. hit it.
0: Yeah, uh, <laughs> I think he may or may not have hit it. We don't know. Yeah. So no, 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 no. That that might have been better, maybe than this. Yes, it's difficult to transport long items like a ladder in in a sedan for a not SUV or pickup truck. But he solved this problem by rolling down the rear windows and just sliding the ladder across the back seats but uh, across the <laughs> doors and just letting this like probably 10 foot ladder just hang out the sides of the car and then drive down the interstate. Not I take: problem.
1: I'm okay with this. It's within the lines. It's no wider than a Hummer H1. I'm
0: <laughs> not sure it was within the
1: lines. It, it to looking at the video to me, it is. It to Fairly... me, it looks like it's within the lines. Okay. What he should have done is he should have put it through the rear driver's side window and caddy corner through the front passenger side window to give himself a little extra extra space.
0: Went, wedged it in there. You know, I wedged mean, it in there. I don't know much about a Ford Fusion because I, I don't, never owned one. However, people have said that the back seats do fold down. <laughs> In the Ford Fusion. So probably would have been better to have it sticking out the rear, at least in a parallel direction with the car, than sticking out the sides to accidentally hit somebody.
1: So this Florida man is actually a firefighter, and he's testing out a new delivery service for the ladder, and he needed to be able to quick release. All
2: right, I'm going to assume that This was not strapped down, and so the first off-ramp he took, this thing was going flying out the window anyway, right?
0: He probably uh,
1: had the windows up to hold it into place.
0: Actually, Uh, actually actually, based on this photo, you are right, Brad. It does look like the windows are up. (laughs) (laughs) And otherwise, the article says it doesn't appear that it's secured oh by any roofs or anything. So you're absolutely right. You take a you forget and you take a sharp turn or swerve and like that sucker slides straight out <laughs> the side into the backs of somebody else's car as they're driving by.
1: So, Can you so imagine? The the next thing you know, good. you got
0: this ladder coming at you.
1: The banana is replaced in Mario Kart by 10-foot ladder. Oh,
3: man. Oh, I mean, my God. Oh. In his defense, he's at least being courteous and staying on the far right lane so that he doesn't hit anybody else. That's
1: just- no, he, he, decapitated,
2: hit anybody. he decapitated every
3: cyclist on the shoulder, though. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a highway, so there shouldn't be any cyclists. That's their own fault in this case.
1: Yeah, and that's his defense. You dumbass shouldn't be on the highway.
0: Neither uh, should you. What happens when there's that pulled-over police cruiser on the shoulder? You'll
1: uh, get hit by a Tesla. How
0: does <laughs> <laughs> the Tesla handle this ladder that's sticking out?
2: <laughs> that is a very good question. What I, what happens in Florida, people? I, somebody explain it to me. They're
1: all bored.
2: <laughs> oh God. I hope I never get old. Anyway. You already are, Boomer. <laughs> Thanks. I need that Cadillac. All right. I think it's time for us to go behind the pit wall and talk about some actual motorsports news. We are a car and motorsports podcast after all. All right, so if, you, if you've been living under a rock for a while, we are finally returning to dirt racing in NASCAR for the first time since the 1970s.
0: Wait, is this the thing where they're going to like bring dump truck loads of dirt yes. onto the... Yes. And I think we talked I mean, you about... You what? Th- I would watch it for like three laps. Yes, it's going to be yeah, amazing. I think we talked
1: about this in a previous drive through as well.
0: We did. And
2: it's going to happen at Bristol. It's the, I think the first of three that they're going to do. Again, guys, this has been done before. This is not new. Everybody makes it sound like it's something that is new to NASCAR. This was a real thing back in the '70s. If you watch Lost Speedways on the, the Peacock, Dale Earnhardt Jr. covers all this. He talks about the old days of NASCAR and things like that. Even you know the, even the earlier days than that. But racing on dirt was not a big deal. A lot of these guys got their start racing on dirt. However, the transformation of Bristol to dirt has been a massive Undertaking. It used to have a dirt configuration a long time ago, but it's it's so far gone. People that did that are, are no longer around, stuff like that. So it's been a massive undertaking for them to convert the track back over. And then they're going to have to convert it back to pavement again. So it's not going to stay as dirt. So a lot of money involved, a lot of logistics just for this one race. So it's going to be really interesting to see what happens here. Uh, there's a lot of articles out there by Auto Week and a bunch of others following their progress. It, and they're kind of unsure at this point they're even going to get done in time crews are working tirelessly to, to get this going so we'll see where that goes but let's shift to open wheel racing instead
1: okay, so there's Indy car driver jr hildebrand and he races in IndyCar car and he's got 2021 delara dw12 ir18 and he's going to be racing in the IndyCar series this year that was
2: a lot of alphabet soup
1: basically the 2021 indy car all right he's going to be taking it to pikes what? peak hill climb so the registrant list the uh, participant list came out not too long ago and if you look through the list you'll see jr hildebrand in a 2021 dollars dw12 ir18 personally i think this is kind of cool i'm all in on the pikes peak hill climb i don't really get to watch it or anything but i i love the idea of it and it's an amazing event that's been going on for forever for how long has it been going on there's decades
0: is an indie car too low for Pikes Peak. I mean, there's, I mean, we saw Randy Probst in, in the Tesla go airborne on just a dip and lose traction, right?
1: Yeah, but then the, that Tesla. the the world record lap time there is held by Romain Dumont and the, the Volkswagen IDR.
2: The IDR is an LMP car, though.
1: I mean, it's still, still yeah. low. Right. I mean, it's still a race car. It's a full-blown race car. The important thing for me here is why don't we commission a car for Pikes Peak?
2: Because a Miata at Pikes Peak would be super boring. That's why we wouldn't do it. But then you can
1: (laughs) say you did Pikes Peak.
2: That's true. But here's the problem I have with all of this is that Pikes Peak today is not the Pikes Peak of, let's say 30 years ago. It much like, you know, Bristol going back to dirt, Pikes Peak was mostly off road. It was mostly dirt and gravel. There were certain, some tarmac spots in there, but now it's a fully paved road all the way up to the summit. So you are starting to see more cars like this taking on the race to the sky, formula cars, indie cars, the IDR, stuff like that. But I think Pikes Peak has kind of lost its luster because now it's like a public road, just like Tale of the Dragon or anything else. The thing I took away from this though, my first question, much like Tatiana's Tanya's point about it being bumpy and, and hilly and whatnot is, does the IndyCar really have the proper turning radius To get through some of those hairpins i mean it's going to be like watching the hotel corner at monaco where the formula one cars need like a granny gear to get around you know that turn because it's so slow some of the corners on pikes peak are just just ridiculously slow. And they were really designed for a rally car to be sliding around the corner, not approaching it like on a road course. So I just, I wonder how he's going to fare. I'm sure he's going to be faster than most everybody that's there based on sheer acceleration alone and and downforce and things like that. I'm curious to see what he does, but on the same token, it's like,
1: Well, the article suggests that this could become a contender for the all-time record and it could challenge Dumas and the Volkswagen IDR.
2: Well, we'll see. I'm happy that Volkswagen holds the record, but you know, if it gets broken, it gets broken. But I guess we'll, we'll have to tune in and find out.
1: If it dies, it 100%. dies.
2: 100%. <laughs> Speaking of formula cars, Jaguar. A name we haven't heard in formula cars in quite a long while because most of us don't pay attention to Formula E, where they have been spending most of their time since about 2017 focusing their attention on their formula program. So Jaguar is still relevant. You know, the last time I saw Jag was like, you know, the Eddie Irvine days in Formula One, you know, that kind of thing they have now launched their own racing channel on motorsports.tv dedicated to Formula E. So if you really need something to put yourself to sleep, that is the channel to tune into. So check it out on motorsports.tv.
1: You put it on and you hear the white noise of the tires because all you hear is the tires. Oh God, it's brutal.
0: And speaking of Formula One, if you haven't seen on Netflix and you're interested, the Drive to Survive series, season three released this month.
1: I have to say, watching the episode uh, about Bodas, I, I had I was so sad for him when he won that race and all his people like dipped out. They're like, "Fuck you, man! We're not, we're not, we're not celebrating with you. You, st- you took that victory from Hamilton. We're not, we're not your friend."
0: Formula One. What I think it's a good know? series, actually. So
1: yeah, I, I don't have to watch the see watch the actual. Racing, I can just watch the series. It's riveting. I, I think the the way they put the show together is actually very good.
2: Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll give it a try. I haven't even bothered. I figured it was a bunch of guys goofing around in the paddock, package checking each other, and just like no. Just no, shenanigans. It's, no, it's
0: it's a documentary basically. This season they actually interviewed a lot more of the drivers. Like I think in season one they didn't even talk to Hamilton at all. Like you you would see footage they talk about him, but like they never interviewed him. They well, might I have in f- season two a little bit
1: season one Ferrari wasn't either like didn't even get permission yeah. to be in it yeah so, but, but now it's this season it's, was actually
0: pretty well balanced. They kept going back to the same races, but like every episode was basically like focused on a different team or a different set of drivers. And then it just kept kind of like recapping what happened to them in like the series of races.
1: Really good job of pulling out the different storylines that you don't really think of when you're
0: so, watching the race. And it's not just about the drivers because they go and talk about like a lot of the interviews are with, you know, Toto Wolf and, you know, the Red Bull chief you Christian know, the, Warner. yes and you know the guys from ferrari and you know the the racing point stroll and now they're not racing point anymore and they're Aston martin blah 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 and they cover like all that stuff that went down and
2: so does this series have to exist because the coverage of formula one is so myopic they're only focused on hamilton and the cars that are in the first second and third position and you never get to hear about the 20 other drivers that are out there is that why
1: Probably, but I I'm glad it does exist. And for Toto Wolf, I, I have a man crush on Toto Wolf. I'm just
2: going uh, <laughs> Oh
0: my god! I, I the guy, the Haas guy, kills me. He's oh he's, yes,
1: Gunther, Gunther Steiner. Yes.
0: Oh man, he's <laughs> just
1: Eric. Like, you would love him. It's the F word. Every other word. I'm like, dude,
0: you need like classes on thing. like communication skill. But hey, you're good. You're getting it done no matter what. Sorry that like you guys have the worst luck ever, but.
1: <laughs> so so Gunther, what happened in the race? Oh, we fucking socked.
0: <laughs> we fucking socked. Gene, it's okay. You know all these fuckers, Gene. have <laughs> oh, <laughs> always called. after every race. Immediately, it cuts to him calling Gene Haas on the phone, and it's like, "Oh, did you see it, Gene? These fuckers."
1: <laughs> Roman John did it again. <laughs> oh my goodness, Eric, you got to go back and watch starting season one.
2: It's really good.
3: I have to check it out.
2: Tom, do you have anything for?
3: Uh... I, I haven't seen it, so I got to check it out as well. So.
2: Are <laughs> you and me both viewing party? All right. <laughs> Meanwhile, my favorite discipline in motorsport had some shocking news in the last month or two. Oh,
0: yeah. So the four rings are possibly making a return to rally. What? There's only like two people on this. They're excited. (laughs) It's me. And it's
2: you. And that's it.
0: But it's not, but it's not Audi sponsored. So basically these two Swedish guys on behalf of EKS JC racing team, they took an A1 and they basically rallified it. They want to enter it in WRC. So, I I mean, I know I'm
2: probably the only person that understands any of this, or hopefully there's some other rally listeners out there. Pete Klein, if you're listening. Uh So they're going to enter this privateer Audi, which is liveried just like the famed S1 rally car that won Pike's Peak back in 87, 86, driven by Bobby Unser, by the way, and Michelle Mouton. So they they did it up in the same livery. It's an A1 Quattro. It's a 1.6 liter, 263 horsepower, quattro all-wheel drive, and they're going to enter in the WRC2 class. So I hate to say coverage of WRC3. So WRC2 and WRC3, I hate to say, have probably the worst coverage out of all because everybody wants to watch WRC1, the, the front runners, the, you know, the OITANX, the Terry Neuville's of the world running the Hyundais and the Fords and all that. If you log on to Red Bull, you can watch their progress. If you watch the individual driver progress, they may show it in the recaps because the car will be prolific. It's the first Audi to return to WRC since the eighties. But again, it's not a factory car. And obviously Volkswagen Audi group returned to rally many years ago with the Polo WRC with, you know, Sebastian and all those guys behind the wheel. So it's really cool to see this. However, I think the coolest part of this was the follow on video to the debut of this car, bringing out the real Stig, the original Stig, Stig Bloomfist, who is one of the world rally championship drivers from Audi to drive this new A1 Quattro rally car. And I tell you what, the Stig, he might not have the reflexes he had in the 80s. He might not be as fast, but watching him drive, you just sit back and he is so smooth and so composed, completely sideways, full open throttle, just having a blast in this car. And he looks like he's been doing it for a hundred years. And it's, it it is just breathtaking. It's not a very long video, but it's definitely worth watching. And we link to it in the show notes.
0: Apparently um, what he says at the end is in his native tongue of of Swedish translates to what a fucking fun car.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I always liked Stig. He was the more uh, he was the more playful of the Audi rally drivers. Everybody was very stiff and proper on that team for the most part. But some very talented folks. I mean, Michel Mouton, Walter Rural, Stig Blomfist, uh, Hanoumikola, et etc. I mean, a bunch of really famous rally drivers came out of that team. So hopefully maybe Audi will return, you know. They've pulled out of IMSA, basically. And, and you know, we're going to talk about that. We're going to transition to IMSA and GT racing. So speaking of pulling out, and this speaks to Tom, I'm sure he's saddened by this, but Mazda has declared that they are done at the end of this season. They are pulling out of IMSA. A
3: little disappointed. And, you know, kind of with with that as well, you know, there was the talk of the rule changes of them actually allowing Rotaries to be brought back into the competition as well. So I know at least for all those that don't know, I wouldn't say I'm the resident Rotard anymore because we now have Matt Wood who has now purchased a FCRX7 as well. But you have more though. Well, it's debatable. <laughs> since the one, we don't even know if it exists anymore. One's but, on a
1: mechanics lean. Yeah. <laughs> Unofficial mechanics lean.
3: So a lot of people in the rotary community were very excited about this. And, you know, it was the thought of, you know, are we going to get that 787 Bravo again, you know, and actually have that competing at that level, you know, even within that as well, you know, was this the news that we needed to hear that they're going to be actually coming out with the RX vision or, what some people are calling the RX-9, you know, as we all know, Mazda is still looking at the Wankel Rotary engine, all the patents that have been coming out have been just for range extenders. So this was kind of that glimmer of hope for us. So now with them pulling out, like it's kind of up at the top of that uh, roller coaster. And now we're just crashing down to the bottom, you know, again, with that try to get, remain hopeful with things, but we'll see where it goes.
2: Yeah. And it seemed like Mazda just wasn't having it when it came to all these rule changes in, the, in this alleged classing merge between IMSA and WEC or WEC. They also didn't have anything to compete in the LMDH hybrid LMP class that's basically going to be replacing LMP1. So I, I kind of felt like they were, to your point, they were up against a wall. And it was like, now what do we do? I guess we pull out. DPI isn't going to exist anymore. The classes are going to change. It's almost like rebellion last year, going into P1 with a P2 car, let's face it, and then say, you know what, this isn't going to work anymore. I think we're going to see a little bit more of that until the manufacturers begin to turn over and bring in new cars, which speaks to Ferrari. Most people probably are not aware that the 488's last race was the Rolex 24. So Ferrari has also temporarily pulled out of IMSA and has declared that they are coming back to compete in LMDH with a new hyper car. You know, if you read about it, there's really zero details about what this LaFerrari LMP car is going to be, whatever you want to call it. There's a lot of nostalgia around the Ferrari 250s, And the reason being, if you're unaware, that was the last time Ferrari won Le Mans, which was actually in 1965. However, the last time they competed at Le Mans with an LMP car, not a production-based vehicle like the 250 was in 1998 with the famed Momo liveried 333 SP. So they're looking to recapture that and rekindle that. 1998 was also the beginning of the the era of the Mercedes CLK GTR, the the BMW LMR V12, the the original Audi R8R. You guys remember that was an open cockpit prototype car. So Ferrari really couldn't compete the new technology was coming, but this new hypercar they're going to borrow technology from the production cars that they're building that do have the hybrid technology from Formula One as well. So I would expect this to be a very similar to a Formula One car with a body on it, which isn't too much of a stretch for Ferrari to do, but I'm excited to see Ferrari come back to Le Mans and it'll be right on time for the hundredth anniversary, which we hope to be at for that race. So that would be really cool to see them and Porsche and a lot of these other brands that are going to be coming back to Le Mans by 2023. So that it's super exciting. Meanwhile, did anybody watch Sebring this weekend? I did. Yeah, and?
1: It was exciting in the last hour or so when Corvette got booted and got hit by that giant BMW.
2: (laughs) the school bus bus, i just i I meant to watch it and i'm sure a lot of people did too the track season has opened back up so people have gotten busy again so I'm, i'm i'm using that as as my excuse even though i was doing something else it just didn't draw me in because Rolex was kind of disappointing and the fact that the field has gotten so much smaller. So as much as I'm excited for the next two years of IMSA and the rule changes and all of that, this year just feels kind of meh so far. So I'm hoping it gets better, but I know that nobody's going to be introducing anything new because they have to declare that early in the season. So it's Corvette's season to lose in terms of GTLM.
1: I guess you don't care about the the shuffling of dates then for the EMSA season because, as we all know, or maybe we don't know, you heard it here first, folks, or whatever, the running of Le Mans has been moved from June, which is traditionally Father's Day weekend, it's been moved to August 21st, 22nd. Because of this, that shifts a whole bunch of EMSA dates around, uh, namely the the VIR date and uh, the Petit Le Mans, which is at Road Atlanta. VIR, which is usually in August is now being moved to
2: October the 8th.
1: Yep. October 8th through 10th. Petit Le Mans is being moved to a little bit later.
2: November the 13th. Yep, Is that Veterans Day weekend? Thereabouts. Yes. Yeah. And luckily in Atlanta, it'll still be warm enough to run the race. So moving it that far out is, is okay. But that means the NBC schedule has changed I'm a little disappointed. I always look forward to Le Mans being on Father's Day weekend. It's just kind of like my thing. It's in August. I'm going to make a point to watch it anyway. I'm I am excited to see who enters this year. I have a feeling Toyota is going to take the crown yet again. Hooray. We're going to be Because well, they're
1: racing themselves. Who are yes. they racing against?
2: Yeah, exactly. I want to see Corvette run in gtlm even if it's against privateer porsches i want to see something happen in gtlm
1: but the astons as well so they're going to be running against the astons and i mean we all saw what happened when they ran against the astons a couple years ago
2: exactly so that's going to be the race to watch the rest of it yeah whatever we'll wait till 2023 when the new cars come out now a little bit of other racing news since we were talking about imsa and dates and to the 12 hours of Sebring. If you guys didn't catch this video that was going viral in at least the motorsports community, we link to it in the show notes. And it's the opening weekend for the Southern version of SCCA's club racing series up here in the mid-Atlantic in the DMV. We call it Mars down there. They call it the Sark. And there is a video of a Miata driver that would rival Most of our Forza contestants, it is absolutely insane. (laughs) It's like opening 10 seconds and you get the whole gist of the video. You're just like, that's all I need. My first
1: thought was Andrew Bank.
3: (laughs) This is not going to go well.
2: I guess he forgot how to drive. It is, it is entertaining. I do not condone this behavior in any way, completely reckless, but I, I just can't believe, you know, that somebody would, would drive the way he did at Sebring.
3: So at is first it- I was actually thinking of, it wasn't that one. It was the other Miata video that somebody posted. What the record summit point. Yeah, that one was insane as well.
2: That's the one where the hood flies up, right? That's the one where the car
1: flips over.
3: Oh, right, right, right. So where he did the pit maneuver on the guy because he was, like, riding right on him, and then he pitted him. So that guy went right into the barricade, flipped over, and then hit a couple other cars behind him. So.
1: That's the one with the cool music in the background? Yeah.
2: Oh, man, what a mess. Meanwhile, speaking of wrecks and crashes and bumping and grinding and and shake and bake, there is a video that was also going around from the Mount Panorama 500, where you get some goosebumps watching Slade's wreck in a uh, factory Mustang. It's kind of cool to watch this, not because of the wreck. And the wreck isn't really that spectacular. It's just the fact that it was grabbed from every camera angle possible and you see it for every which way imaginable. And it's actually kind of cool to see how it unfolds. And he was very smart to pull off when he did, lost the wheel, a bunch of other stuff. I mean, sad that he was knocked out of the race, but kind of, kind of an interesting video if you like crash videos. But meanwhile, I think we have some sad news to report and I'll kick it over to Tanya.
0: Yes, unfortunately, Motorsports World lost one of the greats, I guess, if you will uh sabine schmidt uh lost her fight with cancer earlier this month so the queen of the ring is no longer with us
2: yeah that is a very very sad day and if you don't know who she is there have been tributes all over Instagram, the web, Drive Tribe, I mean, you name it. We're going to post a video from Top Gear. If you remember the Transit Van episode where Jeremy Clarkson competes in a Jaguar against a Transit Van, that was Sabine driving that. She's a factory Porsche driver. She's driven for BMW, a lot of other, you know, German brands. But she grew up at the Nürburgring, and she she did earn the title the Queen of the Ring. And it is unfortunate to see her go at, at such a young age. She had such a long life still ahead of her, so...
1: And that transit van video inspired numerous races in our virtual racing league. I mean, we don't go a season without having at least something that is kind of inspired by that at the ring.
2: And as we close out this episode of the drive-thru, we're going to wrap up here with some more local news. And Brad, since you brought it up, virtual racing, that's a great segue to go to Tom to talk about the VRL.
3: Yep. As we've talked about before, you know, VRL, the Virtual Racing League, is one of the uh, original competitive events we've had here in the club and one of the longest running events as well. Just so everybody knows, we are looking to kick off our newest season coming up here May the 4th. But taking some stuff that we've learned from previous seasons. So two seasons ago, we had a Mazda spec series, where we ran spec Miatas, as well as the formula Mazdas. And something we really learned from that series was just how closely the competition became. Granted, we still have our front runners and the mid pack and some people in the back as well. And then there's one of those. And then Andrew just (laughs) somewhere and usually going into each of those groups. What we really learned is like each of those groups are having very competitive racing throughout the entire time. And with last season's, what we did is we opened up the field a lot more and we had probably our most participation that at least I've ever seen within the VRL. I can't speak for some of the earlier seasons and all, but it definitely made things a lot more interesting having a lot of people there. Granted, you're always going to have that chaos at the start, but once everything works its way past turn one, it was a lot of fun. And we threw a couple little things in there uh, with that. Once again, we're teaming up with Garage Riot, and we are going to be doing a open wheel formula season. And throughout this season, we are going to be taking different types of formula cars and using that as the basis for the race. And we're doing everything between different eras of races, races, we're going to do a Senna-Prost, also the hunt Lada rivalries, really trying to mix up things, make it not so that anybody gets bored with the cars throughout the season or anything like that. We're mixing it around so that we get a feel for all the different formula cars throughout the uh, years of racing. So we're, we're definitely looking forward to that. Definitely looking for as much participation as possible. I don't know if we'll ever be able to max out the limit on Forza, but here's the trying at least. And Tom,
2: for those of you listening, he's part of the VRL committee. So there's a group within GTM that gets together and does all the the planning, the logistics, the the fighting, the debating, the voting, the bureaucracy that's involved in putting on these series. And I can't thank Tom enough for being a part of that and actually reinvigorating the VRL because we had gone on a hiatus there right around series 10, 11. We weren't sure if we were going to continue. And Tom stepped up and said, hey, we really need to get this going again. And, And it's brought some really cool ideas to the table. And with that, we're making some rule changes going into series 15.
3: One of the rule changes, I don't know if it's necessarily a change, But it's an opening up of a previous rule. If you've ever done any of our VRLs, you know that we have implemented the Forza race regulations. Now, say what you will about it. Yes, it it has some horrible, horrible moments. Track limitations are definitely not what are realistic within a real race scenario, but it's being applied to everybody. So it's leveling the playing field on a lot of it but we can now set it so that you do not get disqualified. So we're probably going to see some extremely high scores by Andrew this season. 100%. 100%. As far as uh, how many, how much time he is getting able to rack up on this. But if anybody would like to, you know, compete with him. That's also an option as well. I mean, he might have a prize for it. I don't know.
2: That's true. He carries almost five minutes of penalty time between two series. So (laughs) It's an achievement there. But in addition to that, I mean, Tom, you're right. We instituted that penalty system, lots of rule changes. We found ways to really lock down the way we do scoring. And, and what we realized, I think, in designing Series 15 and a lot of the debate we had was how do we give something back to the racing community? How do we encourage the middle of the pack and, and maybe the back of the pack to, you know, maybe fight for that extra couple tenths of a second or whatever they're looking for? So I think we're instituting some new bonuses we have some, what we call on target, you know, earnings kind of carrying over from our bracket series where we're using target lap times. And if you can get within a certain range of that target time, there's a bonus for that. There's actually a clean racing bonus. Now get through a race without carrying a penalty. There's extra credit for that. So we're looking to give something back because we found many ways to take points away, but we figured we needed to do a balance of power amongst the rules to give something back to the drivers. So again, you know, thank you guys again for hashing that out and I think the new rule book which is going to be coming out very soon for everybody to review is pretty comprehensive and I think everybody will enjoy the changes.
3: And it, it isn't even just for getting the points to the people that are in the mid-pack. Another one of the reasons that we did it is those people that are the front runners now if they know they can potentially get extra points they may even start detuning their vehicles so they start pulling back a little bit more towards the pack then we try to get everybody within the same group.
1: So to make more competitive racing.
2: Absolutely. Yes. Tom, before we close out talking about the VRL, I think we need to just quickly recap VRL 14, series 14 for the folks that probably weren't tuning into the live stream, to all the scoring updates, the new scoreboard, a lot of stuff that came out as a result of that. And and the bigger thing about that was that was our first co-sponsored series. We did that with Garage Riot, but we also did it in the name of one of our members and their family. Mm-hmm. And we were raising money and awareness for lupus we, we actually met our goal. We had a, uh, what do they call it? A bluebird fly in at the last minute and shore us up so that we met our actual goal of $2,000 raised for lupus. So this member knows who they are a round of applause for them. I won't, I won't single them out, but thank you for doing that. I know you're a listener of the podcast. So thank you so much. this goes to our member family as well you know we we really appreciated being able to do this for you being able to campaign raise awareness for lupus but i also want to congratulate uh, dave scherf from our southern states region for winning the series he campaigned an lmp car for the most part he also ran mostly for bmw during our dtm inspired series but he did not win the LMP class title. His brother Ben did. So congratulations to Ben from our Northeast region for capturing the LMP one title. And a double congrats win to Jordan Furman of the Northeast region as well for capturing the R-Spec or GTLM title as well as the B-Spec title. But we had some really great showings from new members, uh, Sean Roberts, who is also now on the VRL committee. He came to us by way of HRD and Garage Riot, a bunch of new people coming on board, things like that. But also I want to give a big shout out to Disco Don from our, our middle and west region for participating remotely. He couldn't be with us live due to work and scheduling conflicts. He utilized our phone-in system and he managed an unprecedented <laughs> sixth place overall finish just by nailing it in. So congratulations to Don, it's never been done. That is awesome, absolutely awesome. Goes to everybody else that's out there. If you can't make up a race, remember you can always make it up with our phone in system. And those details are in the new rule book that's coming out. Outside of that, some quick news for everybody's out there in GTM land. We do have a date for Summer Bash. It is going to be the weekend of July 30th through August 2nd. And now you're probably scratching your head going four days? That's right. Four days at Summit Point. We are joining forces with Auto Interest, who you're going to hear about next week on the podcast. We're going to join up for their summer camp at Summit Point. That's going to be four days on three tracks for a low, low price. You can check out on their website, autointerest.com. You we almost will-
1: fell for it. You yeah, almost fell for it.
2: We will follow up with any promotional discounts, et cetera, for that specific event in the near future. However, if you're interested in hooking up with them for their season opener at some point, they're giving anybody listening to this podcast 10% off by entering the promo code GTM at checkout. So that's going to be two days on Shenandoah Circuit, April 24th, 25th. You know, we want to always give a shout out to our friends at hpdejunkie.com for always keeping the most up-to-date information about all the events that are going on in our area and across the country. And now Canada, I would sit here and rattle off events for April and May, but it's really not worth doing because the list is long. Just go to the site. Exactly. But the track season is heating up. There are events all over the place throughout this early spring season leading into summer. If you want to go to the track, now is the time to sign up. Get out there. Um, The track season started early this year. A lot of people, even in our area, were starting in February. So if you haven't registered yet, check it out. A lot of new names out there. Auto Interest, Just Track It, Max Speed. There's a lot of great groups out there. You can hook up with your area all over the East coast and all over the country for that matter. So check out hpdjunkie.com for that information for the GTM members out there. If you haven't heard yet and you don't read any of the emails and you don't use the website or anything like that, we we have a website. We now are sponsored by Rock Auto of all places. So we get a discount. It's a membership discount. It's a perk for being part of GTM. You can find that information out by going to our website, gtmotorsports.org, logging in and going to the discount page. The information there does change every three months. So be sure to check back often before you check out so that you can get a discount on your orders from Rock Auto. Meanwhile, our friends Kip and Rick from the International Motorsport Racing Research Center have kicked off yet another sweepstake. You know, every year they give away a car. It's a fundraising event to help the uh, research center stay afloat. And they are doing another Corvette this year. It's a 2021 C8 Corvette convertible this time, instead of the coupe. You can go to www.WinAC8Vet.com and you can, there's even a new promo code IG25, IG as in Instagram, 25 for a 25% increase in chances to win that Corvette. So you can do that and all the proceeds go to the International Motorsport Racing Research Center. And if you take a cash payout or take the Corvette, that's your choice. New Patreons for this month. We had one happens to also be our guest from last week. It's Longtime returning member, David Drew Andrews, star of the All the Torquems episode. We got into a very technical episode about off-roading and his uh, Jeep Commander and his Mercedes-Benz G-Wagon and whatnot. There is also a special full-length bonus pit stop episode entitled Jesus Take the Wheel, available on Patreon, where we follow up with Drew and talk about other things outside of off-roading. We talk about motorsports and a lot of other stuff. It's a really funny episode. Episode It goes right along with the, with the first one. If you heard that you can get that now on Patreon by going to www.patreon.com forward slash GT motorsports and subscribing uh, at any level from $5 on up. And that'll open up all of the special content we have there. And that episode will probably air sometime months from now, if you're willing to be patient, but if you got to have it now and you got to hear the second part, go ahead and check out Patreon. We also want to give a special shout out to longtime member Rob Lors, who his episode came out this week as we're recording the drive through, entitled The Man, The Myth, and The Little Blue Miata. So if you haven't heard that episode, it's a great way to check out the behind the scenes with one of our longtime members. And that is also a full length Pit Stop episode.
1: Oh, so we'd also like to close out by giving a special thanks to our guest host for tonight, Tom Windy. For joining us this month, and we look forward to more guest hosts in later episodes. It was um, fun being here. <laughs> and of course, we wouldn't be here today without Tanya.
2: Is she our co-host or our producer now? What, what is she?
1: She's the executive producer slash co-host slash
0: consultant,
1: <laughs> cons- consultant slash EV person slash resident Kimmy.
2: Well, everybody, it's been a blast. Tom, we enjoyed having you here. We look forward to what's coming in the rest of season two. Obviously we are four weeks underway. There's a lot of really cool stuff coming. So if this is your first time tuning in, I apologize. Please check back next week. They get better. I, I, I promise you. <laughs> and on that note, I can't thank all of you supporters, fans, friends, family, etc., everybody that's involved in the greater GTM grand touring motorsports. Without you guys, none of this would be possible. So we'll see you guys next month.
0: Well, here we are in the drive through line. Me and her. Cars in front of us, cars in back of us, all just waiting to order.
2: There's some idiot in a Volvo with his bright sun behind me. I lean
0: out the window and scream, hey, what you trying to do blind me? My wife says, maybe we
2: We really hope you enjoyed this episode of Break Fix, and we wanted to remind you that GTM remains a no annual fees organization, and our goal is to continue to bring you quality episodes like this one at no charge. As a loyal listener, please consider subscribing to our Patreon for bonus and behind-the-scenes content, extra goodies, and GTM swag.